0: You're listening to Crosspoint Community Church in LaGrange, Texas podcast. To learn more about Crosspoint Community Church, including service times, and how you can connect, please visit CrosspointChurchTX.org. We talked about it over the last few weeks. You are a masterpiece. Even our theme verse, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, says it this way. For we are God's... Masterpieces. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do God things He has planned for us long ago. So as we talked about again over the last few weeks is that before creation happened, before time began as we know it and understand it, God planned for you and saw you as a masterpiece in Christ Jesus. So he, before creation, he saw you as a completed masterpiece. He called you by name so that during this days as we live in today, even though it may feel like we're in the midst of mess, he is filling and working his work as the master artist in the tapestry of your life. And so while it may look messy on the backside, on the other side in Christ, people are seeing the beauty of God in you and how he's working in you. And it, the master artist sees the completed work the final project and that god planned that long ago and even in the midst of this time right now as he's working in us and through us he planned those things those good works those god works that he had for you uniquely and specifically for you that's pretty awesome that our God would think about us before time and see the completed masterpiece and do the work in us necessary to get us to that place. When Ephesians over the last few weeks, he's been giving, Paul has been giving us some doctrinal meat. Not milk, not baby food, but some good meat. And now, which is typical of Paul's writings, he does doctrinal stuff at the beginning and then in the second half, he begins to say, now that you know this stuff, let's begin to figure out how we flesh this out and how we live it and how this applies to our day-to-day life. Like it's good to know these things. This is important, but it doesn't matter if you know these things, if it doesn't impact your life. And so this is where Paul begins to flip and change that in Ephesians chapter four, specifically verse 17. And he reminds them of who they are in Christ. Remember in Ephesus, it's a large city and the main worship was the temple of Diana and the temple of Artemis, the fertility cult. And so people are Coming out of that style, that understanding of worship, that I am a product to be used... For God and so they're hearing the gospel and it's flipping their understanding of who they are and what they're about In Christ and how God views them is God is like I'm making you a masterpiece. I'm not using you I'm doing work in you and transforming you and so their world their their perspective is radically changed And so Paul in the first part of Ephesians is reminding them of these truths So they can now live it out and not continue to go back to the old ways That they were used to, but to put on the new clothes that they now have in Christ. And we'll see that here in just a second. So Paul is reminding them of who they are in Christ and of the gospel. That the man has, there's one race, which is man. That there's one problem, which is sin. There's one solution to that problem, which is the person and work of Christ. And we have one hope, which is the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. And that is the gospel, the treasure of Paul. And he's saying, you should treasure that as well. And so here, as he begins this part in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17, he reminds them of there's two ways to live now. You have your old way of living or your new way of living. So the first way of living that he talks about is the old way. And he says in verse 17, this way, with the Lord's authority, I say this. Live no longer as the Gentiles do. Now, a lot of times whenever Paul says Gentiles, he's talking about the ethnic group, anyone outside of Jews. Here, he flips it and he says, now I want you to understand Gentiles is anyone, Jew or Gentile, that's outside of a covenant relationship with Jesus. He's helping them understand if you are outside of Jesus, if you're not located in Jesus, that you're a Gentile. So for his Jewish audience, they would be highly offended by this. Of like, no, hey, I'm proud of my heritage. And Paul said, listen, you need to understand the gospel is if you're not located in Christ, then all of that religious stuff is rubbish. So Paul's redefining with the Lord's authority. I say this live no longer as the Gentiles do. And it says the second part for they are hopelessly confused. The first thing I want you to get about this other way of living is it's confused living. Some of your translations may say futile thinking. It's financial terms that he's given us that futile thinking or confused thinking is empty. It amounts to zero. It never succeeds. And so Paul is telling us if you choose this way of thinking, if you choose this way of living, your accounts will always be in the red. Any of y'all feel that? That you always are going to have more months than you're going to have money. You're always never going to have a month. And Paul is saying this confused thinking. If you choose to live outside of a covenant relationship with God, you're always going to be trying to earn your worth and value and it will never succeed. The only way you can find true worth and value that will move your bank account in the eyes of God beyond here is saying yes to Jesus. We have a tendency to go here and go there and find trinkets instead of the things that are of real value. And so in this, Paul is reminding us that the first step of repentance is to change my mind about my spiritual condition and about God. That that begins to change your accounts. One of the ways that we talk with people about financial in our financial classes, one of the first things we say is if you're digging a hole, you've got to stop digging and take a true assessment of where you're at. And so here Paul is giving us this, this language, is like, if your way of life is not working, stop. Take an assessment of where you are. Take an assessment of the condition of your mind and of your life. And maybe, just maybe, you need to change your direction and go in a different direction. Because where you're going hasn't succeeded, will never succeed. You will always be in a, a level of a bank account that's empty. Now let's go in a new direction and see your bank account being filled up. Because if you're always the ultimate authority for everything in your life, then you're God. If you're always the ultimate authority for everything in your life, you're confused thinking you are God and you will fall short every single time. It will be futile thinking. So Paul continues on with confused thinking. He says one way of living is confused thinking. And then he adds on in verse 18 that you'll be stumbling. You'll be stumbling in the darkness. Verse 18. Their minds are full of darkness. And they wander far from life because of this darkness. They wander far from the life that God gives. And so darkness is a spiritual condition where our minds are dark because our eyes can't receive the light. Even Jesus talks about this, that, that he's telling his hearers. There was a moment where he said, you don't even realize how dark your darkness is. That you think that living in darkness is normal because you haven't ever lived and received the light. And so your, your spiritual eyes have adjusted to living in in the darkness but that is not where life is and so if you've ever been in that situation where you're walking in darkness your eyes do adjust but you still need some light to make sure that the path you're on is not dangerous because if you've ever been out in the country and you're walking along you want to have a little bit of light because you know that if you can't see in front of you you step with caution because there could be danger ahead of you And this is what Paul is talking about. In confused thinking, a way of living, confused thinking, your mind becomes so dark, you don't even realize you're walking in darkness and you're stumbling around trying to find something to bring stability and purpose and meaning in the darkness. And what you could be reaching for, the very thing that you think that's going to bring stability and life and purpose and meaning, you may be reaching out and you're grabbing a snake. Or you're grabbing something that will harm you, not bring life to you. And so Paul is telling us, listen, you can follow this way of life, but it's confusing. And you're stumbling around in the dark, trying to find purpose and meaning in life. And you reach out and all of a sudden you're like the very thing you think is going to stabilize you will actually harm you. Your darkness is so dark, you don't even know that it's dark. When we're in the dark, we grasp for things, move around and try to find something. And Paul says that's the way most of the world lives confused in their thinking, stumbling around, trying to find something to give me worth and value and purpose. He continues on. He says, in this one way of living, it's confusing. It's stumbling. You're in the dark and also you become callous. You become callous. It says this, because the reason that they're stumbling around and have confused thinking is because they've closed their minds and hardened their hearts against him. They're confused and they're stumbling because their mind, the center of their rational, logical decision-making place, and their hearts, the center of their will, their character, the motivation, has been closed and hardened. That it's And they've done it so many times that it's created a callus, and they don't even feel it, don't even know it. And so this hardened idea is is a doctor word, and it's this calcification of the arteries that you take in stuff that's not life-giving to your heart. And so over time, the doctors even now we know what they were telling us over 2,000 years ago, that it hardens the heart to such a place that we get a heart of stone. And so therefore, blood cannot flow through the heart and provide life to the rest of the body. And so here Paul is telling us if we continue along this way, this way of living, we become calloused to where our heart becomes calcified. The veins become, the arteries become calcified and it restricts life to us, to our mind and our heart, the life-giving, motivating thing, the character, the will, the very thing that moves us and gives us meaning and purpose are drawn up. So it's that word of... Even whenever, if you've ever broken a bone, the doctor says, well, that part of your bone, that part of your arm or your leg will be stronger than before because the calcification will make it stronger than even the bone. Our willingness to close our minds and let our hearts be hardened to the gospel truth and to sin calcifies and hardens us, hearts and minds, and it mobilizes us and paralyzes us to the truth. Even in John chapter 12, we're not going to look at it, but Jesus tells a crowd, people have gathered around Jesus and he's teaching in John chapter 12 at the end. And he says that he's the light. And what's interesting, he said that to the crowd that, hey, I'm the light. They'd ask him, who is he? He goes, hey, I'm the light, which they understood. Like, hey, I'm bringing light to life for you. And then the very next part of that passage, it says, but most did not believe in him. And it continues on for just a second. It says, the reason that they didn't believe in him is because they were afraid of what others thought. And the last part of that says, they loved human praise more than the praise of God. So think of it this way. most of the time, or a lot of times, we're more concerned about what other people think of us than what God thinks of us. And so we make decisions... Life-altering decisions based upon the praise of men, what others would want for us. And so we have shame, pain, and regret. And while we're dying on the inside, while our heart is calcifying, while we're being callous to the things, we're receiving this faint praise of man while our Father is weeping over us. Because if this is the heart of the issue is this, is that God is fighting for our hearts because he desires a relationship with us. And so he's like, listen, I want you to know that your heart and mind are central to this. If your heart and mind decides to go this way, then you're running for me and you're running from a relationship for me. And that's going to be pain, shame, regret and non-fellowship with me. I want to fellowship with my children, but you choose this way. You're choosing to run. And your bank account will always be empty. You'll always be seeking worth and value. And to raise your bank account and other things, and it will never get your account out of red. You see it. If you've known anyone that has addiction issues, the question always is, is what's the bottom? At what point... Will they evaluate their situation and say, I can't do this anymore. I can't do this on my own. I can't do this in my own power. I can't do this in my own strength. I don't have the wisdom. I don't have the money. I don't have the education. I don't. This is outside of me. And this is what Paul is talking about. God is affectionate for our hearts. He so wants a relationship with us. And he wants us to understand that this is a fight for our heart and our heart's affections and our minds. And so the very things that we take in impact the way that we're living and the way that we're walking. And so Jesus says, may we crave the praise of our Father more because he's the great masterpiece maker, More than the ones that are going to give us faint praise. For just a moment. Not only do we become confused and stumbling and callous, we don't even realize it in our darkness that we're actually even dead. Verse 19. They have no sense of shame because they live for their lustful pleasure and eagerly practice every kind of impurity. The NIV says that they've lost all sensitivity. The message says, feeling no pain. The living Bible says they don't care about right or wrong anymore. In other words, they become so accustomed to walking this way in their living. Now they're at a place where they don't even feel life and pain and hurt. And so they can move forward and then even know that they're dead. They're walking zombies, feeling nothing, moving away. And God's like, listen, your heart matters. And he wants to resuscitate and renew our heart. Man is made for God. And designed according to his standards. When man rejects God and his standards, he destroys himself in the process. The more we move away from him, the more it hurts us. The more callous, the more calcified, the more stumbling, and we find work, try to find worth and purpose in other things, and we don't even realize that we're on a path to death and decay. And we keep pursuing it. We can't even feel it, but they continue to just for just to feel something, a moment of happiness to give value and worth to the life. So that's one way of living. The other way of living, verse 20, but so you have this way of living, but that isn't what you learned about Christ. Since you have heard about Jesus and you've learned the truth that comes from him, throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. And instead, let the spirit renew your thoughts and your attitudes. Put on your new nature created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. So God says, hey, listen, I've cleaned your closet. And for some reason, I've thrown the things, there's clothes that I've thrown away, I've given to Second Chance or Goodwill or whatever. And the next thing I know, you're pilfering through those things and putting them back in your closet. Because they've given you worth and value and people are like, "Ooh, man, you look good in that. And you're like, yeah, I mean, that's why the pastor wears a jacket, right? You look good in that. And so we have this idea of if we just hold on to these things, there may be moments... Where they never worked before, but maybe there's moments that we might need them. And so we live in this way of, hey, God's given us a whole new closet with a new worth and value that gives Him glory. But we keep going back over here to some of the old clothes because we want, for a moment, we're like, man, it did feel a little good when this... One of my... One of my classes that I took as part of seminary was a class on chaplaincy. And one of the uh, people that were teaching it, she's the chaplain for the um, airlines. What do they call that thing? FAA, not Future Farmers of America, but Future Aviators of America or whatever it's called. She was the head chaplain for them. And so she was talking to us like, what does she do? What's her responsibility when a plane goes down? Now, we understand most of the time when a plane goes down, it's not a very good scene. And so she tells us, like, this is what they have to do. And so every time that they find a person or a part of a person, they have to call that family. And so they're like, there's times I've had to call a family three or four hundred times to tell them. And so they're grieving. I'm grieving with them. And so the, de- the, the death and everything with that kind of a job is just Overwhelming. And so one of the questions that was asked is, like, how do you do that? How in the world can you continually go to work, and that is your calling on your life to be able to do that? Like, how do you go home at night? And so she's, great advice, and I've practiced it even today, is this, is that... The psychologists and sociologists tell us that throughout the day, the stuff of life gets on us. Whether you're a chaplain at AA or your coach or a teacher, whatever it may be, wherever you're at, the stuff of life comes at us, and that what we need to do is to go home, and as soon as we get home, take off the clothes of work, take a shower, wash the day off, and then put on the clothes of home. And this is what Paul is telling us. Is we have some clothes and we're comfortable and we know them, but there's a lot of stuff and stank on them. And Jesus is calling us home to cleanse us and to provide us with new clothes. Because He's taken residence with inside of us, and if He's taken residence and He's feeling at home, He wants to sup and dine and relate with us. And so here Paul is telling us, get rid of those old clothes of your old work of your old way that gave you seeming purpose and meaning, but didn't were only things of death. Now come home in Christ and rest in him in the new clothes that I've given you and enjoy them and find purpose and meaning, not in your clothes, but in relating to him. Don't worry about the praise of men. Don't worry about the image out here. Worry about how you're viewed in Christ and to rest in Him. It's the fruit, the fruits of the new nature and of resting in Him. Verse 25. So stop telling lies. Let us tell our neighbors the truth, for we are all parts of the same body. Let your yes be yes. I and mean, one of the things that we hear consistently, if you're a Christian and you're trying to live out your faith, people that are against faith will say, all of you Christians are hypocrites. And you're like, yes, sign me up. That's why there's no perfect people allowed at Crosspoint. But here's the deal. What Paul is telling us is, yes, we're all going to be hypocrites, but there's a transformation that's happening inside of us. And that what Paul is saying is stop telling lies to the people around you, but more importantly, stop telling lies to yourself. Be authentic and true to who you are and what God is doing in you. Quit taking your masks to different places and different roles and pretending to be somebody in different places and different things and just be you and what God is doing in you. And be okay with where you're at. You're on a journey and understanding that, listen, you're a masterpiece that's not done yet. But he still sees you as a masterpiece. You're already defined as a masterpiece. So quit lying to yourself that you're junk, that you're leftovers, that you're seconds, that you're messed up. You're in the clearance aisle because that's not how God sees you. He sees you as a masterpiece and live in that truth and quit lying and pretending to be something that you're not. Be authentic to who God is and what he's doing in you. Verse 26 And so therefore, don't lie, but then also be angry rightly. Don't let... Don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry for anger controls for anger gives a foothold to the devil. Now, this idea of anger is, is a, is an explosive moment. So most of the time when we see somebody angry, their temper has flared up and just boom, they just kind of vomited over everybody. Right? And so that's part of that. And what Paul is saying is, listen, don't do that because that is you getting offended. You're defending yourself over something about you've been hurt or offended and that not what righteous anger is. Paul here saying righteous anger is something that's deeply settled, convicted and sense. And it's God, something God is angry at. And we're offended that God is offended by it. And so it spins it out a little differently that for us that we're to be offended by the things that offend God, not when people offend us. Because most of the time What happens is, is that we're tearing people down and in the midst of our tearing down, somebody says something truthful about us and it hurts. And because it's truthful and it hurts, what do we do? We vomit back instead of saying there's some truth in that. I'm a work in progress. I'm going to take my mask off and let that be real. We rightfully anger about the right things is a fruit of God working in us. He also tells us in verse 28 to become generous. If you're a thief, quit stealing. Instead, use your hands for God hard work and then give generously to the others in need. That stealing is the opposite of generosity. It's, it's a heart set in reality of how do you view others? Do you view others as if they're to give to you and they're to be used by you for your gain and your pleasure and what you need to get ahead in life? Or are others an opportunity for you to be a blessing because you're receiving blessings from God? That God, thank you for what you've given me. Thank you for the opportunity. Thank you that I'm a masterpiece in you. I now will in Christ begin to see others as Christ sees them. As someone who either knows Christ or doesn 't know Christ, and if they don 't know Christ, then that is my treasure. If the gospel is truly my treasure, then I want to be generous with it. I want everybody to know what my treasure is because here 's the beauty of it is that my treasure in the gospel never runs out it 's not like man made treasure where there 's a limited amount of sum of coins there 's a ton of coins that will never be run out, and so I can be passing them out. I can be the most because the gospel changes my view and perspective of people it's a heart set of am i going to use others or am i going to give and bless others and he also tells us to be encouraging verse 29 don't use foul or abusive language we have a tendency to think foul or abusive language is like hey this word or that word you know the victorian words that we're not supposed to say but really what this is is to not talk about somebody in a way that would hurt them and to change how people view them. Because we do a really good job on social media and and other places of talking about someone or praying for them and tearing them down. And so Paul says with us as as followers of Jesus that that we're not to be tearing someone down anymore because our worth and value is found in Christ. And, And so now we don't have to tear others down so that we can be made higher than them. Because we're made complete in Christ and our worth and value is there so we don't have to tear others down to find our value in that. And so quit doing that. So now then let everything you say be good and helpful. So that your words will be an encouragement. Literally that we will build others up. We will encourage others to flush out this life in Christ. That instead of tearing someone down and saying this matter, this matter, whatever, that we are encouraging and lifting up And as we did a series not too long ago, to love one another, encourage one another, to speak good words to one another. That if a body would come together and say, in Christ, I don't have to talk bad about you because my value and my worth doesn't come from that stuff anymore. My value and worth comes from Christ. We can just encourage each other. And how that would change the spiritual climate of a community that when you're at the coffee shop and -and so-and-so walks in. And they're annoying you and you don't like them and you may not even love them right now. But you begin to pray for them. And you begin to say, God, I don't in my own power, in my own strength, in my own wisdom, in my relationship with them right now, I do not have any encouragement. What encouragement do you have for me to give them? That changes your perspective on not using them, but encouraging them. Think of it this way. A rotten mouth produces rotten fruit from rotten soil from a rotten heart. Do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. Remember, He has identified you as His own. You, you are to find your worth and value in Him. And He guarantees you that on the day of salvation, you'll have redemption. You've got nothing to lose. If you're His, your inheritance, your name, your future, your masterpiece is guaranteed in Him. So you can be encouraged. So you can be loving. You can be the last part of this. You can be forgiving. Verse 31: Get rid of all bitterness. Let's stop. So he's about to give us some good psychology. Bitterness, if we allow bitterness to settle in and take root, guess what happens? These next things. Rage, anger, harsh words, slander. And then our behavior toward that person changes. You become as cold as ice. You turn your back. You think things. You do things. All because someone offended you. And you've let bitterness take root. So then, verse 32, instead of being bitter, rage, angry, harsh words, and slandering, instead, be kind. Be tenderhearted or compassionate, forgiving one another. In other words, what Paul is saying is of all these fruits of this new way of living, he leaves this last one, which is the most difficult one, to not let bitterness and offenses take root so that we can therefore forgive. And that the scriptural picture of forgiveness that Paul gives us here is that word of that God has Plenty of opportunities to be offended by us in the ways that we've offended. But he chose on the cross to take our offenses out into the wilderness find a place dig a huge hole for all of our offenses and bury them and cover them up and put it back like as it was and so that he could walk by it again in the future and not remember where our offenses are placed so not only did he forgive us but he has moved past them and listen that's hard and so here Paul is telling us to bury them and move past. In other words, forgive freely, forgive fully, there's no partial payments, you don't have, hey, you owe me two-sixths of that payment, and forgive finally, that the debt is fully canceled. Why? Why would Paul tell us that? Look at the last part of that verse. Just as God through Christ Jesus, has forgiven you, and you, and you, and me. Give to others fully, freely, and finally what we have received in Christ. That's the fruit of living and pursuing the heart of God. That we will begin to look and act and think and love and forgive like our Father has forgiven us. It's either pursuing this way or the fruit over here of a debt that we can never overcome. And there are always, we get to the place where we don't even feel anymore and we're still waiting for the next hit. And God says, What do you want? You're a masterpiece in progress. Don't settle for seconds. Live in the best. Let's pray together. Dad, thank you for fighting for our heart. Thank you for not letting us settle for seconds, not letting us settle for trinkets, not letting us settle for junk. Dad, thank you for continually putting a mirror before us and reminding us that you see us as your beloved child. Worthy of an inheritance that we can't even fathom. That we have a new last name in you and we don't belong to these old clothes anymore. Get of them away. Burn those old clothes. Get rid of them and don't give yourself a chance To go back to them. Father, you've given us a new wardrobe. Father, I pray that we would come home and rest with Christ in those new clothes. And begin to get comfortable in the robes of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Father, may we sit down and sup and dine with you. And enjoy the fellowship and relationship with you. Father, we love you. Thank you for your gift in Christ. Thank you that we are your masterpiece in Christ Jesus. And that you had good work for us. Planned out. Before time began. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for joining us for the Point Community Church Podcast. It is our prayer that this message was encouraging to you as you follow Jesus. For more about Crosspoint Community Church, you can find us online at crosspointchurchtx.org. Have a great week.